this is the first half week <laughs> of uh, September 2021. And this is This Week in Common Sense. You're Paul Jacob. I'm Timothy Verkula. We cover the big stories of the week as they appeared on thisiscommonsense.org. To begin, I think uh, we should start with the war president's debacle and remember wars that cannot be won even with military victory on the battlefield should not be fought. That's really, to me, that's the takeaway from this, which of course was true before any of the disastrous pullout from Afghanistan. And I blame Biden. The buck stops here, Biden. The buck has to stop there. He's in charge of the withdrawal. It doesn't matter what Trump did in terms of a treaty or whatever. Nothing was approved by the U.S. Senate. There's no real treaty. It's a gentleman's agreement, and that gentleman is gone. And Joe Biden, of course, did alter it. So all of the withdrawal from soup to nuts, A to Z, what is it, alpha to omega, boy, am I educated. And uh, all of that is Biden's, it's all his. But of course, the, the worst thing isn't the withdrawal, it's a foreign policy that doesn't recognize, that would get into another Vietnam or another Afghanistan or another Iraq. I mean, think of Barack Obama running for president as the peace candidate, winning the presidency as the peace candidate, and trying to get out of Iraq, getting lots of folks out. They never got everybody out, and they never attempted to get everybody out. Trying, wanting to draw down Afghanistan and then surging instead. But whatever he did with those, Barack Obama has to be defined by Libya, by the fact that he toppled a government with no plan in place for the next day. With, with you know, the truth is, you think about people learn from their mistakes, it's rare. And in politics, it's even more rare. And we haven't learned anything new. And in fact, um, one of the nice things about getting out of Afghanistan would be to say, look, the terrorist threat is the terrorist threat. It's this little thing over here. Um, you know, they're all worried about Russia and I am too. That's much bigger threat than, than Islamic terrorism. And the Russian threat is nothing compared to the Chinese threat. And so... I mean, the, the, the idea of getting rid of these stupid engagements where we're trying to nation build and where we're trying to pull people into the, you know, into some sort of freedom, supposedly, although it doesn't seem like we ever really tried that. We don't want, you know, we don't want to actually pull them into freedom. We just want to mouth some words and hope they have a government that's stable. But, um, but all that beside the point, we're, we're not... No one seems to have been capable of nation building in any sense of a free nation. You could put some strong man in and, and, you know, keep the streets clear with a bunch of thugs or something, but that's not what America should be all about. But the truth is, George W. Bush has learned nothing from Afghanistan. Barack Obama has learned nothing from Afghanistan. They've proved it. Uh, Trump really wanted to get out, but you know, it'd be interesting to see he didn't get out and it would be interesting to see whether he would have done it any better than Joe Biden. And you know, I'm, I'm sure all the Trump supporters say he would and all the Biden people say he wouldn't, but we'll never know. But that then gets us to Joe Biden and this withdrawal. It's classic Biden to say the buck stops here and then to blame everybody under the sun. He stayed at hotel, you know, at, at, a, at a Holiday Inn Express 
but they didn't, you know, they didn't tuck the sheets in well enough, or they didn't have the, the right, they didn't put a min on his pillow. I'm just saying that's, that's his kind of claim to, to, uh, you know, he, he acts like because he's been in Washington for 50 years as a U.S. Senator and as vice president and now as president that he's experienced, he doesn't know beans. And, and you look at, uh, you know, what, what, you know, this, this piece that we did on, I guess it was Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, it was Wednesday, actually. Uh, you know, he comes out on Tuesday and basically announces this extraordinary success. It's extraordinary success. That's what he called it. And no nation, this is the exact quote, no nation has ever done anything like it in all of history. And of course, it is a pretty big airlift. I mean, you think back to Dunkirk, but remember what Churchill said about Dunkirk. And the difference between Dunkirk and, and Afghanistan, Af Afghanistan, we're trying to pull out all kinds of civilians and other people, but we don't have the German army breathing down our necks. And we don't have to cross the English Channel and be vulnerable and so on to the Luftwaffe. And uh, there's no Luftwaffe uh, among the Taliban. And of course, what looked like it was going to happen is there was going to be whole armies decimated, captured, out of the war. The, the entire like British expeditionary force, um, huge parts of the French army. And they somehow managed to pull those people across the channel. And Churchill gives just an incredible speech as he could do. But he said, we must be careful not to give this deliverance. The, I can't remember the exact word he used, but they would not treat it as a victory. Wars are not won by evacuations, is what he said. He wasn't a modern politician, I guess. Uh, you know, he uh, certainly was a, a politician, but, uh, but, you know, that is so true. And Biden could have said, thank goodness we did what we did. He could have thanked everybody. Instead, he's beating his chest that we got a whole, we turned tail and ran really well, because at the end, that's kind of what it was. And, and, uh, and look, in, in war, if it's time to retreat, it's time to retreat. There's nothing, you know, nobody cries later. Oh, we've never retreated before. Smart soldiers retreat when it's time to retreat. But smart military people don't get in that position in the first place if they can avoid it. And in Afghanistan, we could have avoided it. Um, one of the things that's been brought up, of course, is Biogram Air, uh, Airfield could have been kept. That's the big air base. It's in a fairly secure area i mean that's why they picked it is because they thought this is very defensible and uh and they got out of there kind of left in the middle of the night and left a note we're leaving we're gone and uh it just seems like that would be something you would hold until the last you would leave from that airfield not from kabul in a, in the middle of a huge city of millions of people um so, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things that just didn't seem to make sense about how we got out. There's also the fact that I think Biden was told again and again, who knows how long the government will hold out. I mean, he gave us the speeches about they have 300,000 soldiers. Yeah, not really. If you look at, if you read enough, you'll see, no, there weren't really 300,000 soldiers. And, you know, I remember before the Iraq war, we were told that this is the fourth, the rock has the fourth, you know, it's like, like before a football game, you have to build up both sides to get people to tune in, you know, because really Alabama is going to knock the crap out of whoever they're playing. And, and that's how it was with Iraq. Oh, they're the fourth largest army in the world. They disintegrated overnight. Most of them were conscripts and they were not well-trained. And, and, you know, look, the, uh, the Afghan army was not so well-trained either, but they seem to have been without food, without, you know, proper ammunition and other, they, they just, they were not an effective fighting force. And I think the U.S. military knows, you know, I think the commanders and the soldiers, they know an effective fighting force when they see one, 
So this was not this was not some shock to people in Washington or at the White House. It was Biden blowing it up and hyping it like politicians do. And and that's a huge, huge problem. Now, there's two things that have come out since we wrote this and since the uh, the evacuation was complete or as I as I say in this piece, somewhat complete, because, of course, after Biden had said, we're going to stay until we get everybody out. He was kind of pushed by George Stephanopoulos uh, uh, on ABC when they interviewed and he said something about, well, we're, we're going to we'll get them out by then. But if not, you know, and, and Stephanopoulos was kind of, uh, well, what do you mean? And he then came back and committed that, yes, and, and has, had done it elsewhere, but that we were going to get all the Americans out. Well, you know, in one way, it may be tough. Some of them may say, look, I'm an American citizen, but I'm staying. You can't get people out who don't want to get out. But Biden also threw out this. It was almost like Baghdad Bob. Do you remember the the uh, commentator or the in, in the Iraq war, there was the guy in Baghdad talking to the press about their glorious victories on the battlefield and all kinds of stuff. He just spewed whatever he thought might sound good that had no connection to reality. But Biden was the same in terms of suggesting that just come to the airport as if, you know, hail a cab and or maybe take an Uber, come to the airport be sure to, you know, have your luggage well packed. The reality was it was chaos. Throughout this, it was done, I think, in a really, really messy way. And I say that we've written quite a bit at, at thisiscommonsense.org about Afghanistan, about the fact that the plan seemed to be to either negotiate with the Taliban, which always struck me as a really bad idea, but it was, it wasn't you know, just Trump's, but it was Trump's, it was other people, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense. And and maybe you cut a deal, look, you know, you can cut a deal with Stalin in some war, you could cut a deal with Mao, you could cut a deal with all kinds of people. You know, if they could have cut a deal early on with Hitler, well, Neville Chamberlain tried. Um, so, you know, it's not like just because people are basically evil, that you would never talk to them and try to create a situation where less people were massacred and hurt and, and enslaved and so on. But it, that struck me as a really bad idea. And of course, the alternative was always, and this is something we mentioned in this piece, uh, Mitch McConnell saying Afghanistan was a great success because there were no terrorist attacks. Of course, we've had terrorist attacks. You know, there was the Pulse nightclub. There was the thing out in San Bernardino. There, there have been different things. There was the stuff in... in uh, France, um, there are other terrorist attacks, and it's not as if just because you know Osama bin Laden's dead, so you don't have to you don't have to occupy anywhere to to stop him. He stopped. Terrorism is not going to stop, and of course Biden's saying, well, now we have to go to Somalia and other places in Mali and Africa and 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 throughout the Middle East. Maybe we ought to stop doing all of that and just protect our homeland as best we can. I'm convinced that if we would, you know, if we hadn't been in Saudi Arabia and why we would want to put any troops in Saudi Arabia, which is a, is not a free country. I, I mean, it seems, seems so simple and you almost are afraid it's kind of simple-minded, but it seems to me that we need a coalition and alliance of countries that are relatively free to kind of work together to keep us all free. And that it doesn't make much sense to be doing a whole lot of work with countries that are just rotten to the core and tyrannical and massacre their people and beat them and kill them and imprison them if they say anything they don't like. And Saudi Arabia is in that camp. They're not in the free camp. So anyway, it's, it's, there's a lot of things we could do to be safer to enhance freedom instead of just, you know, kind of blowing it. Um, but I wanted to mention two things. So, so I, you know, the bottom line is the policy of four presidents in Afghanistan was not good, was bad, and did not help the country. It didn't stop terrorism. It spent a bunch of money. Now, it, it helped some women in Afghanistan, and I'm damn glad about that. But 
you know, we can't go to every village and hamlet in the whole world and protect all the human rights. I mean, there are all kinds of countries in the world that are still, you know, you're, you could be killed, you could be imprisoned if you're gay. You know, there's, there's a lot out there. There's a lot of places in the world where women are not treated very nicely. And, you know, let's do everything we can to prevent that. But sending in the Marines every time and occupying the rest of the world doesn't seem like you're going to succeed in, in making the world a better place. Two things, though, happened since, since the pullout that was disastrous. Even, I think, those of us who wanted us to get out of Afghanistan, like myself, uh, think, boy, you sure could have done it better. In fact, it's not so much you could have done it better. It'd be hard to do it worse. Um, but, but there is an axiom that can always get worse. So let's not, let's not think too long about that. Two stories that came out since then that I think are important and that haven't got as, at least one of them hasn't got as much play as it probably should. One is that there was a phone call between Biden and the president of Afghanistan. And Biden basically said, hey, you got to put a better face on this. And the implication in most of the stories I, I read at first were that he basically just wanted him to paper it over so that he could get his photo off of I got out of Afghanistan, then let it go to hell once I got everybody out or most everybody. Looking at a little further into it, I not, I mean, look, that could have been Biden's MO, his, his, his uh, motivation for saying what he said. But I think his motivation could have also been, look, you got to rally people. You got to put a better face on this. I know you're in trouble, but guy, come on, buck up, put a better face on it. So I think we have to. I mean, it was it was never done for Trump. And of course, it's never done for Biden and Fox News and other places. They they're never going, let's think about what they said and maybe, maybe just trust for a second that they're not evil, terrible people. What could they have, you know, maybe Biden was trying to buck this guy up in a positive way and not just trying to get out and, hey, tell people lies. Because at one point he says, uh, you know, whether it's true or not. And, and so that, oh, he must have wanted him to lie and trick everyone. I don't think we have to go there. Look, he botched this. We don't have to pretend that he's, you know, Satan's second cousin. Um, we can just say, look, Biden botched the, the withdrawal. So I don't think that's as big a, a, a non-story because it hasn't been much of a story. Uh, but I don't think that's as big a deal. But there is there was a story in the Washington Post, and it was mentioned that the Taliban, you know, they did have a deal with Trump. And then, of course, when Biden came in, that deal was altered. And Biden said, no, I'll get out by, you know, September 11th. He's, you know, somebody's a moron and maybe a bunch of somebody's at the White House. Why would you pick that day? Why would you want to pick that day to do anything in Afghanistan? Um, it just, it doesn't make any sense. But, um, but so they, they had altered the deal and they were talking to the Taliban. I mean, now they're negotiating with the Taliban to get the people out that they didn't get out. So it's not as if they weren't talking to the Taliban. The Taliban, before they took Kabul, says to the U.S. person they're talking to, the military person, you've got to either create a perimeter around Kabul or we will, or, you know, we'll take Kabul. But they, they basically realize it could get a little dicey if we take Kabul and you guys aren't out yet and then, you know, we're mixed up with each other. And basically, and it's not clear whether this, military person got back to the administration and said, what do you want to do? Or just said, look, we're getting out. We got no interest in anything but the airport and getting the heck out of Dodge. But that's what they told them. We got no interest in any sort of, you know, covering a perimeter around Kabul. Well, you know, that may not have been the plan, but when you think back, there's probably 13 U.S. service people who would be alive today and 18 who wouldn't be injured. I mean, arguable, maybe the maybe ISIS or somebody else would have done something. 
but it seems to me that we would have we would have been clamping down in such a way that we we at least at least whether ISIS got through with some suicide bomber would be on our soldiers. It would be our job to stop it, not depending on the Taliban to stop it. And of course, it could have been that they tried to stop it and just failed, but they failed. That's why those folks are dead. And of course, it it bothers me sometimes that that's all we hear about. There were three British nationals, one a child, who was also killed, who were also killed in that. We point that out in, in this piece. Uh, we give a link to it. Um, as well, but I hadn't heard that until I was looking to for a couple statistics, and I bumped into it. And it bugs me that the U.S. media, uh, you know, the British media mentioned there were 13 U.S. soldiers. Should they have just left that out of their reporting? Why do we leave it out that thir- that three British nationals were killed in that? And why do we leave out that 160 plus Afghans were killed in that suicide bombing? And, and I've heard people argue, well, you know, we got 120,000 people out, only 13 U.S. soldiers killed, only that. This, as I pointed out in the piece, let's cancel the victory lap. Let's just be a little bit Churchillian. Churchillian? That's not even right, but, uh, but whatever. You know what I'm saying. Um, let's be a little more like Churchill. This evacuations are not victories. And they shouldn't be treated that way. And when you have an evacuation, I don't care if you get a million people out. If you got 13 people who gave their life for it, if you've got 160 Afghans, three Brits who are dead, you know, no beating of the chest. That's not, that's not how it works. At least I don't think that's how it should work. So the fact that we had an opportunity to do it so much differently and Furthermore, the fact that I suspect most people listening to this have not heard about that Washington Post story. It has not reverberated in the media. It's not being talked about on MSNBC. It's not being talked about on CNN. At least I'm unaware of it anywhere there. Um, It's being talked about just a little bit on Fox. And, And it seems to me that that's the sort of thing that I'd sure like to know more. I'd like to know whether that military commander was so certain that Biden would not make any new arrangement that he just said, no, forget it. We're not, we're not doing anything in terms of stopping the Taliban from taking Kabul, um, or whether he actually communicated that back up the chain of command to the commander in chief. And Biden said, no, or somebody below Biden who's in some higher position said, no, we're not doing anything to create a perimeter around Kabul. Go ahead and take it. And, uh, you know, that's, we ought to know that because this is our lives, it's our country. And, and it seems to me, again, this is just a place where there's been so much talk about this. To me, this is a really new development in terms of, wow, there was that sort of communication and we really had an opportunity to say, oh, sure, why don't you wait and not take Kabul until we've flown away? That just, it just strikes me as bizarre that we had that choice, bizarre that we didn't take it. If I were the military commander, I think I would have thought it's a lot better for my guys to be in control than their guys as we're trying to get out of Dodge. And and lastly, awfully weird that the media is not more interested in it. And, and uh, I'll let you uh, uh, comment on that, Tim, but um, that leads us, I think, maybe to our next place, the uh, Hidden Dissuaders, which uh, we, we did on Monday, which is also about the media not being interested in asking questions or knowing anything. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's a problem for the media generally now, right? It's almost as tired subject now, but it's, of course, our reality, so we can't let it go. The thing that interests me about Afghanistan and the withdrawal is that they left all the equipment, uh, or so much equipment. My understanding is that if you're going to leave an area to your enemy, which was going to happen, you wouldn't give them weapons. Uh, but, you know, Obama did this in the uh, 11th, the Levant, uh, and yes. uh, it's happened before, 
and I find it to be peculiar. Now, I understand it's hard to get stuff out, but I understand even helicopters were left. Can't you fly helicopters out of Afghanistan? There's reports that they were flying, that there was someone that they killed and hung him on something and flew the, the helicopter around the city with a person hanging by the neck uh, below the helicopter. You know, who, who but did that? The, the Taliban did that, supposedly. Uh, I don't know. It was somebody who, you know, maybe collaborated with the U.S. That was the implication. But, um, you know, I don't I didn't firsthand verify it. But that's the reports that I've seen in the media. But they they have they have um, there. I, I for the first time saw some talk about um, that they had disabled a large number of vehicles or whatever. But, you know, again, you, you you've got all these vehicles there and you're pulling out i mean it, it you know it's not like it's not like hey we only have three days we've just been told we're gonna we're gonna be leaving right. we've been getting ready to leave his whole presidency and this is you know we're now in september that's nine months we're beginning the ninth month of the year he came in you know what the 21st of january it's some time to to be able to do these things and Trump wanted to get out before he actually declared the plan. So uh, as, as far as I understand it, Trump probably would have had it pulled out during his term had not the whole lie about uh, Russians. Uh, what, was, what was that goofy lie? That yes, he to yes that the, the Russians were paying bounties for uh, Afghan, for the Taliban to kill Americans. And somehow Trump wouldn't do anything about it. And of course, you know, today, looking back in hindsight, we realize there's not a shred of evidence that that's true. I don't believe it's true. I'm not a big, you know, Trumpster, uh, but I don't think that he would cotton to that. I don't think that that's something that's going to happen. And I think you're right that it was used to delay any type of, you know, uh, don't do anything about Afghanistan. And of course, one of the problems with something like Afghanistan is it's always politically easier to kick the can down the road, to just spend enough money to keep the, the lid on and leave it to the next person. You know, it's going to cost a few hundred, maybe less. I, I'm not sure if there were a few hundred killed during uh, Trump's presidency or more than that. I mean, the total killed American soldiers there was 2,400 plus. It's a lot of people. <clears throat> but it's, you know, it's not as if it's the sort of thing that's going to control the media cycle and the news cycle and, and you know, get you defeated. And, you know, it sounds crass to even talk like that, but I guarantee you that's how they talk in Washington every day of the week, that um, they're not interested in, you know, to save a few lives, I'm going to take a political hit. And so, you know, the, the, the thing I would give Biden the most credit for is actually getting out because you, I know. And I think anyone who sees these things and pays attention knows the military, the intelligence community, they're all saying stay. They're all saying stay. Keep doing what we're doing. And, uh, and we just, we were not making any progress. After 20 years, the Taliban takes over in a New York minute. So, um, you know, it, it obviously the, the nation building and all that was not really, you know, very successful. Well, I think uh, the United States intervention built the Taliban nation. I suspect that now the Taliban may actually be able to consolidate power. And that's one of the reasons the Taliban has been uncooperative during the pullout is that their whole unity in Afghanistan, which was non-existent before, is dependent upon seeing the United States as, you know, the great shaitan. And uh, that being the case, you know, an enemy a unified enemy unifies the country. And I think that they right. may, we have actually may have made, that is the United States military may have succeeded in doing something no one else has ever been able to do is create a nation in Afghanistan. It's just and, our enemy. 
And I would disagree with you on one thing. I, I would not put the blame on the military for the disaster. And, and I don't mean that they didn't make mistakes in, in all kinds of ways, because they did. But the policy was not their policy. And so I would blame, I just don't want, I don't want the politicians to get off with any shifting of blame. They deserve 100% of it. Now, it can be dual blame and some military, but I want the politicians to get 100% of the blame. And, and the interesting thing is, they still haven't consolidated the whole country. They're still fighting in the North. You know, it was the, what was it? The Northern Alliance that, you know, we never really defeated the Taliban. We helped, but it was the Northern Alliance that we were helping um, after 9-11 that, that did defeat the, the Taliban. And, and so there's still, there warlords in the, in the uh, uh, North who are still fighting and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I suspect that the Taliban, especially with all the weapons they've, they've gotten and the fact that they are in control of much more of the country, they probably just have enough people and enough weaponry that it's going to be hard to hold out against them. But, but it's, again, we also, and we did, we've done the same thing in the Middle East. We draw these lines on the map and we call them countries and then we pretend they're just like, you know, France or Spain or the U.S., and, and, you know, Iraq is not really one country. It's the Shia in the South and the, and the Sunnis in kind of the middle and the, and the uh, Northwest and in the Northeast, the, the uh, Kurds. And, and so, you know, and in fact, one of the things I liked about Biden uh, years ago was that he had some understanding of the fact that we probably should, should split Iraq into three separate countries that would that would have kind of a homogenous religious ethnic uh, you know, background. I remember that. Now, the thing that uh, stands out most after the fall of, of the Afghanistan, uh, just the whole pullout and after the fall of uh, American attempt to do something there good, <laughs> was the media turning on Biden. And it was pretty stark, uh, it was pretty uniform and they were appalled, and I kind of under, sort of understand, I mean, but this is the issue. Remember, this is the issue that the media chooses to go against their own kind, and it's the issue of eternal warfare. They yeah. sided with the eternal warfare machine. And and, and by the way, I, I like blaming the military, uh, and in fact, I would probably blame it, like, much more than you would, because I think the military is really partly responsible for this, is that the generals in the Pentagon and the CIA players and all the the apparatchiks and all this nonsense. Uh, I think they're one of the main reasons that we couldn't pull out earlier and that they keep on telling lies. In fact, they, they've been misreporting this for a long time. The higher up you go in the military, the more I agree with you. At the same time, I think that, I think it's easy to blame the, you know, look, I don't like the deep state and the intelligence community either, but I can't believe they're that dumb that they didn't know what anybody paying, anybody reading the paper knew that the Taliban was, you know, going to take over, that the Afghan government was not going to hold very long. And so, you know, weeks ago, we were, you know, I was arguing with some people who, well, I think this was a big intelligence failure. And it just, it just didn't feel to me like the problem was an intelligence failure. I think it was a political failure. But, but I think you're right that at the highest levels of the military, they are playing games. They played all kinds of games with, uh, hey, uh, after Trump, you know, we got defeated in the election. I remember there were a couple of different stories about how we really have more soldiers in Syria than they've admitted to. That that's that is dereliction of duty, insubordination, almost bordering on treason, to have a a military that is told to pull people out of a country and says, no, 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 we're going to keep them there against your orders. I mean, that's a, that's a, I don't know if that is technically treason. It's bad stuff. And that, so, so you're right, as far as the military does deserve blame. It's just usually, I think when people talk about the military, they're thinking about all of it. And I think it's a very, you know, it's a, it's the, the thin slice at the top that is a, a serious, serious problem. I think they are insubordinate, and the reason is is that we live in a fake republic. So I, I go all the way, and I refer to our government now as a military conservatorship, excuse me, military conservatorship, which means that we have as much democracy 
as the military, the Pentagon, the CIA, the NSA, the DIA, whatever, allow. We don't have any more. Uh, and they do control things. It's one of the reasons I suspect that there's something weird going on in the counting machines, the vote counting machines, is that I've just never trusted them since 2000. Uh, I think something weird, I think it's not so weird, because mostly military contractors run the electronic voting, make the electronic voting machines. So I just don't trust them, and I don't see why anyone would. And if you want a democracy or a republic, the first thing you have to do is to do what Eisenhower said, is watch the military-industrial complex and demote their power. Yes. But no, I, I agree with the latter. <clears throat> I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't know for, you know, whether votes were changed or this oh, or that. Yeah. And so, but I think we, I think what we do know is we don't know near enough about what's going on. And there's all kinds of questionable things. And, and it just, it doesn't smell right. Uh, the, the way that the, the, we've talked about the media, deep state, you know, connections and how that bleeds over. Uh, and then we have social media that, uh, you know, basically says, oh, you can't say this and you can't say that. I mean, the, the, the idea of a robust free speech republic is a little bit of a joke. And we, we can see the footprints of big politics and the deep state and the military industrial complex and the elite. And, you know, it's, it's, I think people have every reason to, to, if they don't, I'm not suggesting you believe this or that, that you can't prove, but we have every reason to be suspicious and we have every reason to know, not just be suspicious, but to know that our rights are being eroded on a continual basis, you don't, you know, things don't happen by accident again and again and again and again, always the same way. And, uh, and that's, you know, we, we've got some real problems, which it, let's do segue to hidden, hidden dissuaders. And uh, after my talking, everybody will have more sympathy for Joe Biden, but, um, but hidden dissuaders is about a simple article in the Washington Post, what I would call a hit piece against Rumble. And Rumble is a video sharing service, um, just like YouTube, except, thank goodness, not just like YouTube. It's one that lets people say what they want to say. Now, they, they won't allow racists, kind of hate-filled, threatening, terroristic threatening type stuff on, the, on uh, their their platform. Uh, but other than that, you know, it's, it's pretty much free speech. And, uh, and they, you know, you don't hear complaints about be people being thrown off there. And more and more, I, I first heard, I heard about it years ago, it seems like, or, or some time ago, but it first kind of dawned on me as a real thing when I had to go to Rumble to see what Senator Rand Paul had said about uh, wearing masks and different things because YouTube suspended his channel because they didn't like what he had to say. And of course, YouTube, we reported this and, and talked about it two years ago, YouTube or a year ago or so, uh, YouTube's CEO said that they would basically take down any video that talks about medicine that doesn't fall in line with the World Health Organization. Now, you know, if you said that about the CDC, I would think that's the stupidest thing I ever heard, except you could say it about the World Health Organization. And actually, that would be the stupidest thing that you could ever hear. I mean, that's just, it's crazy. And, and so they do this story about Rumble and how it's a place for the right wing. You know, the, the Washington Post never says left wing, never says left wing. And, and I'm not saying go say left wing. Why do you say everything's right wing and conspiracy theories and, and uh, all their kind of you know, ways to hit and make you think don't ever go to rumble. This piece was completely one-sided. No real response, no give and take. Oh, somebody sees it differently and thinks rumble's a good alternative so that there's more competition. None of that. 100% anti-rumble, which is the way the Washington Post likes to go. 
But then it was you, Tim, who uh, tipped me off to uh, Dan Bongino's hit on that because Bongino looks at the person they quote in this piece, uh, Kernan O'Connor, who's with the Institute for Strategic Dialogue. And in the piece, it mentions that that institute has worked some with Google in Europe on a fund to help you know, make sure everybody's saying what's really, really right, the truth, as, as only they know. And, uh, and so then, okay, that's, that's interesting. Well, he finds out, I guess, because maybe he did a little work, you know, journalism, there was some work involved one, once upon a time. The Washington Post didn't do the work. He does the work and he finds out that governments are giving money to this group. So this group that is telling you don't, you know, stay with YouTube, that's going to that's gonna tow whatever governmental line, whether it's world government or U.S. government, they're getting money from governments, they're getting money from Facebook, from Google, they're getting money from other subsidiaries of Google. So this is, and Google, of course, owns YouTube. So this is a YouTube funded, in essence with help from your tax dollars attacking its competition. It's the most outrageous thing in the world. And, and the Washington Post doesn't breathe a word of it. Now, two things, one of two things is true. The Washington Post knew that this group was funded by YouTube-oriented groups and YouTube parent company, or it didn't know. If it didn't know, why does Dan Bongino, why don't they hire him to write their stories? Because he'll do the work to actually find out the information. And if they did know, how do you not print that? But you know, Tim, for years, I have noticed, and I, I do a lot of initiative work. If I'm working on an initiative, they always seem to want to know who's funding it because maybe the people that are funding it are those right-wing lunatics and terrible people. They never, I read stories all the time about left-wing initiatives, because of course the initiative process is gonna be used by whoever's out of power. That's why it's a nice thing, because it allows people to compete with those who have their hands on the levers of power, but they never seem to be concerned about who's funding those initiatives because I think they look at those initiatives and they say, well, those are liberal, progressive, left-wing initiatives. We like those. Those are good things. We don't have to look at who's doing it because it's good. The initiatives I'm working on, term limits, you know, uh, uh, citizen-only voting, things like that, these are right-wing, conservative, or libertarian. They're anti-establishment. They're bad. And if we have media that covers one side as good, therefore we don't have to ask any tough questions, and the other side is bad, therefore we're not even gonna get to what they're actually for, we're just gonna slam them as evil, terrible people. Well, that's, that's the media world we live in. That's exactly what we have. A few weeks ago, you did a piece on, okay, can my memory even retrieve it? Uh, on how uh, a YouTube or a uh, Alphabet Incorporated subgroup had funded a RAND Corporation study on on how to deal with conspiracy theorists and uh, on, on the web. Remember that piece? Uh, yes. And it's coming yes. back to me as I talk about it. But the organization that actually funded it is one of the organizations listed uh, as funding this organization that uh, the Washington Post goes on and on about and interestingly Bongino mentions you know he he, he uh, put out a an image of the, of the of the list you know highlighted the the companies that he identified as being a competitor with Rumble and he didn't mention that one because I don't think he looked even further and I'm not sure Bongino should be called a journalist around this Bongino no. is an investor in Rumble so right. he had right. every personal reason to debunk the uh bunk but he was right i mean that's the that's that's the thing that's important here is not whether he's a great journalist or not but it's his right and he might actually be in it 
uh, an honorable man. I'm, I'm not saying he is, but I, sus I suspect he could be. Uh, well, I and think, I and don't a, think Washington Post is honorable. Well, Bongino told us he was an investor. I mean, in the video, as he's talking about it, he says, look, here's my connection. So that's, you know, that that's to his credit. Uh, and and thank you, actually, for for correcting that in a sense, because I didn't mean it. I, I kind of meant it tongue in cheek, yeah, right. because, of course, he's he's a propagandist. He's a he's an advocate. And, and that's what he's doing. But yet he's finding out more information than the people who are supposed to be even handed and just digging for information. So um, well, the truth is, the Washington Post isn't reportage. It's propaganda, just like the New York Times and the Atlantic and nearly every other place. And so we're all kind of on an even playing field insofar as journalism is concerned, because, you know, journalism isn't just one thing. People often say it. It's a kind of one of my one of my uh, pet peeves is that you hear journalism isn't like it used to be. Well, journalism has always been propaganda and it's always also been reportage. They sometimes uh, interpenetrate in a Venn diagram and sometimes they're just two radically different things. Sometimes they're government, sometimes they're not. So I thought that was very interesting, though, that that uh, Washington Post could go on and on about how bad Rumble is and not mention that the main source for the perspective was the competitor, essentially, of Yes, Rumble. yes. And, and I'll tell you, I think, uh, you know, these, this story, when you see big government, and of course, when we're, you know, we're a superpower, supposedly, I hate that term, because it's not accurate. You know, we don't have some superpower force we have a big military that we pay a lot of money for, and we ought to be looking at what it should actually do. We, people, not just the military industrial complex and politicians who have a different set of interests than we have. And, and so that's when you see how big government is able to take these tremendous resources and, <clears throat> and a military that is highly capable and screw things up on the one hand. And then on the other hand, you see how they manipulate what you're told. Uh, you know, somebody uh, months ago, you know, I've done, we do a lot, talk a lot about China because we see it as a huge threat. And somebody, uh, somebody mentioned, you know, they have to clamp down on speech all the time because they're so scared because they know they don't have any popular support. And it's really important to remember that free speech is more powerful than a gun. And I am a huge fan of the Second Amendment. I think America may be the only country in the world where the people are actually armed enough to compete firepower wise with their government and i think that's wonderful it's wonderful but i would i want uh, free speech is more important than the gun and uh and we have to fight for it here in america and and that's you know i i think as we get into this holiday weekend we had we had three other scripts this week one about landlords defeated or defended defeated prior this time landlords on the on the, uh, uh, you know, that you can't uh, evict people, the eviction ban, that was, the Supreme Court said, no, you can't evict now. And that the CDC, you know, clamping down on that, they had no authority to do that. But it wasn't as good a decision as it should have been. But I encourage people to read that. What they're able to do against bad old landlords, which of course are a lot of people like you and I, who've invested and are working their butt off on a second property for their retirement. And then they're being crushed by somebody in Washington saying, oh, they can stay at your, uh, <laughs> at your place as long as they want without paying. That's a piece I encourage people to go to on Gilsandro Skids. On Glissando uh, Skids. Yes, is about term limits and the fact that two Idaho conservative Republican senators started out with 90% approval on limited government uh, uh, index that we looked at. 
and that a, a columnist in Idaho looked at and then went to 80 and then 60 and then 30. And we make the point that the longer they're in power, the worse they get. And then uh, you might enjoy Friday's piece. I'm going to forget the name. Is it something like Marks of Tyranny? Yes, Marks of Tyranny. And it's, you know, tyranny, it's actually uh, a lighthearted piece. Marks of Tyranny, I think you'll enjoy. Uh, it's a good way to end the week. But uh, we, you know, look, we're seeing it in living color in front of us. Uh, we are seeing a, a country that is in trouble, that, that doesn't do things the way that we expect we would do them. And then we also realize that, you know, sneak behind the curtain and the wizard uh, is not only not very effective, he doesn't want you to be able to look behind the curtain. And we're going to talk about that again and again until it changes, because if it doesn't change, we can argue whether the republic is gone, it's just, it's just a facade, uh, or whether there are parts of it left, or whether it's mostly there, but we're losing it. I don't know which one of those someone wants to go on to, but the trajectory is the same. It's that we're not winning, we're losing. And I'm not talking about just in one aspect. I'm talking about the whole big picture of our republic. So um, that's, what, that's what this podcast is designed to do. Let's talk about it. Let's figure out how we change it. Well, that sounds like an end of a podcast for the last of August and the beginning of September 2021. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for This Week in Common Sense. That was Paul Jacob talking with me, Timothy Vercola, and we're here most weekends talking about the big stories of the week that have appeared on thisiscommonsense.org, the website that Paul has been working on since 1999. This podcast can be listened to via most podcatchers, can be seen on YouTube, and accessed through thisiscommonsense.org. Thank you.